0: Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, it is such an honor to see you guys this morning on Easter Sunday. How many of you are happy to be in God's house on Resurrection Sunday? Man, we're, we're truly honored to have you here. If you're new here, if I'm not a familiar face my name is Joe, and along with my beautiful wife Erin here in the front row, we get to serve as the pastors at this awesome church. And I would love to meet you after the service today if I haven't got a chance to. And before we jump into a service that I think is going to be such a powerful moment. I think it's going to help all of us connect with God in a deeper way. Before we go any further, I want to make a quick announcement. This is for next weekend. We're making a slight adjustment to our service time. So if you've been here for a while, you know, we meet at nine and 1045. That 1045 has always felt a little bit funky to me. But somewhere along the way, we decided to do with it. And it's just always been that way. Well, we just launched today actually, as of three minutes from now, we're launching a new campus right across from our Warren campus. It's called our traditional campus. And they're going to meet at 10 a.m. And so uh, there are many weekends when Pastor Joe, our lead pastor, speaks to all of the campuses together, and we wanted to make sure that they had space. So now our new service times in Warren and in Boardman will be 9 and 11. So it's a 15-minute bump. Here's the good news. If you forget and you come next week at 1045, you'll be early, okay? And so some of y'all have never been early to church before. You think we only sing two songs every week. You'll get an extra two. So hey, uh, you're welcome, all right? And so we're excited about that. That'll be a nice change. And um, I want to jump right into today's message. We're starting actually a brand new series of messages. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite you back for next week because this is going to be a really helpful series. We're calling it Reconstructing. Here's why we're calling it that, because we live in a deconstructing world. This is a term that has become very popular with people that were raised in church and raised in Christianity that are beginning to unearth maybe some of the assumptions about their faith, the assumptions about God and his existence, even the assumptions about Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. And the idea of deconstructing is tearing everything that we believe apart uh, layer by layer and then putting it back together, hopefully in, in a better way. And I think this is a noble idea. The only problem and the challenge and what I think really makes God sad and makes me sad is that many people who leave the church to deconstruct never return to God, never return to the church. And so here's our goal and here's our prayer during this series. We hope to help you to deconstruct so that ultimately you can reconstruct your faith and build it on a better foundation, to build it on the one foundation that is worth building your life. And so I want to say this. If you feel like, hey, Joe, I consider myself a skeptic. I don't even really know why I'm here today. Somebody told me they would give me a free lunch if I came with them. I don't, I don't know what it is that made you find yourself here today. But if you feel like, hey, I consider myself an agnostic or an atheist or a skeptic at best, then you are in the perfect spot. And if you have been in the faith for a long time and you consider your faith to be growing or to be strong, this will be an amazing series for you because it's going to bolster your faith and it's going to strengthen your faith. And so we're going to jump into a message today as we uh, begin this series. And today, the title of my message appropriately is Reconstructing Resurrection. And I bet if you've grown up in church, you remember from as early as you you can have memories, you remember the teacher teaching you about Jesus and being resurrected on the felt board, and you saw all the characters, and they would throw candy at you to get you to pay attention. You you remember this concept of resurrection, and then even if you consider yourself a skeptic or or a non-church person, you have heard of this word resurrection, but I want to maybe take a fresh look at this word today and help us to see it from a different perspective. I want to start by reconstructing resurrection. And I just want to share with you a couple of very simple ideas that I think have the power and the potential to change your life and change your relationship with a God who I really do believe exists and I really do believe loves you. And so here's the first one. You ready? We're going to jump in. The first thing that you need to know about resurrection is that the resurrection was a real event. The resurrection was a real event. There is a pretty famous author. His name is Lee Strobel. And he set out on a journey as an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He set out on a journey to disprove Christianity. His wife started going to this church, and she, he was just really skeptical of this church. And, and they were just a little too nice and a little too friendly, and he just couldn't deal with it. And so he was already an investigative reporter. So he started studying the evidence to disprove Christianity. And the crazy thing is, as he started to accumulate the evidence, he began to see more evidence for the existence of God and for the existence and the happening of the resurrection than he did in the opposite direction. And so out of that emerged a pretty cool book called The Case for Christ. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into a few of these ideas that I'm sharing with you, then that would be the book to start with. But Lee was interviewing someone, and he found himself in a house, in a living room, that he never thought he would. He was sitting in the living room of the Playboy Mansion across from one of the world's most well-known hedonists, Hugh Hefner. And he had his silk smoking jacket on and his pajamas, and he had that famous smile and cackle. And they're having a conversation about the existence of God. And and Hugh says, yeah, I've never really believed in God. It seems a little childish to me, this whole story of Christianity. And, And then the conversation takes a pointed turn because Lee asks him a very specific question. He says, well, what do you have to say about the resurrection? And there was a shift in the atmosphere, and Hugh said something very important. He said this, if one had any real evidence that Jesus did indeed return from the dead, then that is the beginning of the dropping of a series of dominoes that takes us to all kinds of wonderful things. It assures an afterlife and all kinds of things that we would hope are true. And I can't say that my worldview aligns with Hugh Hefner's very often, but that is one thing I can absolutely agree with Hugh Hefner about, that if the resurrection is in fact real, then it changes everything. It changes everything. This is why 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the apostle Paul speaking, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And so here's the question. If you're new to God, and you're new to this idea, and maybe you've grown up hearing something that's contradictory to this message, the question is, is there evidence of a resurrection? And it might surprise you to know that Christianity is a very investigatable religion. It really is. Actually, in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, he talks about five E's, and these are five pieces of evidence that Jesus died and rose again. I don't have the time to go into all five of them, but let me share very quickly three of them with you. This is interesting. The first E is execution. Would we all agree we have to have a death in order to have a resurrection. We have to have the crucifixion before the story of the resurrection can even be possible. And it might surprise you to know that among skeptics and among Christian believers, there is virtually no disagreement that the crucifixion was a historical event, that a man named Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was actually killed at the hands of Pontius Pilate. There's virtually zero disagreement on that. Now, they will argue with you until the cows come home that there was a resurrection, but no one, virtually no one, tries to deny that there was an execution. That's interesting. And so, This is an interesting account as well. One of the things that you'll hear people say is that Jesus wasn't really crucified. He wasn't killed on the cross. He did hang on a cross, but he was just wounded. And when they placed him in the tomb, the dampness of the tomb caused him to wake up. And so therefore, it was not a resurrection. It was actually a resuscitation. Now, that is an interesting theory, but here's the one problem. There is not one documented case in all of history of a Roman crucifixion failing to do what it was designed to do, to bring death to someone. It was a brutal act. Now think about this. Before there was ever even a crucifixion, there was a flogging. We all know this, that Jesus was whipped and brutally beaten. And this is from an eyewitness account of a Roman flogging. This is what they saw. They said the sufferer's veins were laid bare, and the very muscles and tendons and bowels of the victim were laid open to exposure. Before Jesus even gets to the cross, they say that he was experiencing something called hypovolemic shock because of the loss of blood. And then he's hanging on the cross in his lungs because he's hanging this way. They are locked in the inhale position. And so to exhale, he has to pull his whole body up by his hands that are nailed to the cross just to inhale and exhale and inhale and exhale. And to top it off, just to make sure he's good and dead, the Roman soldiers at the end of the execution They are ordered to take a spear and place it in his side. And they pierce him through his ribcage and they puncture his heart and his lungs. This is interesting. The Scientific Journal of the American Medical Association, which is peer-reviewed, by the way, they published an article by experts analyzing the historical and medical evidence for the crucifixion of Jesus. And here's what they said: this is interesting. Clearly, The weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead, get this, even before the spear pierced him on the cross. So there's very little disagreement that there was an execution that was historically documented. Here's the second E. It's empty tomb. Every other major religion in the world, you can go to the tomb of their founder and they are still found in the tomb. But Christianity is the one religion where you can go to the grave and it is empty, the tomb Is not full with anyone. And this is interesting, not even the opponents of Jesus disagreed that the tomb was empty, they just blamed the disciples for stealing the body. And so you start to look at the historical evidence, and one of the things that people that believe in the resurrection of Jesus will cite is the Jerusalem factor. You have to remember that just a month after Jesus was crucified, this movement of Christianity started, and it went from just 140-some people in an upper room to 3,000 people the next day, and then to tens of thousands, and expanded very rapidly. It was a viral movement in a day and age where we didn't have the internet or anything to even spread the word. And so it's interesting, and what they're arguing is that it would be nearly impossible for a movement to spread that way if there was a tomb that still had a body inside. It was common knowledge that there was a tomb and it was empty because they saw Jesus before the tomb, and then they saw the empty tomb, and then Jesus appeared to people after that, which leads me to number three, eyewitnesses. Now, in just about any court of law, all you really need for a witness is one to two people that are credible to say I witnessed something and then to tell other people about it to take a stand. Well, in the case of Jesus, in a very short amount of time, this is historically documented by people that believed in Jesus and people who were opponents of Jesus, uh, 515, excuse me, people encountered Jesus after his resurrection. And so it's not even disputed. This is 2nd Peter 1:16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Listen, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw something firsthand that changed them from the inside out. Would we agree that it's one thing to live for a lie, but it's another thing entirely to die for a lie? I want you to think about this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, first of all, just side note, this is proof in and of itself that Jesus was the Messiah because how many of you would follow your brother if he said he was the Messiah? I don't think so. There was something that James saw, but not only did he acknowledge his brother as his savior and as his Lord, as his Messiah, but he then followed him through persecution. And James, this is historically documented, James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then he was beaten to death because he refused to say that Jesus wasn't Lord. Peter demanded that he be crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified in the manner that his savior was crucified. John was boiled in a vat of oil and then quarantined on the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. There was something that they saw. They were eyewitnesses to an empty tube and an empty grave. Something changed because the resurrection was a real event. Here's number two. This is big. Jesus was resurrected so I could be too. Jesus was resurrected so you could be too. This is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. This is the account written down by one of the disciples, and it's after Jesus breathed his last breath. And I don't know about you, but I walked through most of my Christian life unaware of this happening, but this is what the Bible says. At once, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split. Graves open. This is cool. And many of God's people were raised to life, and they left their graves. And after Jesus had risen to life, they went into the holy city where they were seen by many people. Can you just imagine that scene? Like, this is the pilot episode of The Walking Dead. This is crazy. Like, They come out of the grave and they start showing people that they are alive. But this is more than just a beautiful picture on the outside. This symbolizes something spiritual that was happening, that when Jesus entered the grave, that his people exited. There was an exchange. And when Jesus took on death, he gave us new life. Because here's what Jesus wants every person to know in this room today. It is not enough just to intellectually acknowledge that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The next thing, the next logical thing that happens is that we are resurrected with him. Because Jesus says, if I'm coming out of the grave, you are too. This is what Romans 6, 5 says. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Christianity is a raising from the dead. It's not just acknowledging the resurrection of Jesus, it's acknowledging that my life is coming out of the grave too. That's why every Christian should have two birthdays the day you were born with your mama and the day that you were reborn in Jesus. This is what Jesus declared to the rabbi Nicodemus. He said, You must be born again. This is the beauty of the resurrection. This is why we can say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live and not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Here's number three. This is a good one. This is a quote from one of my friends, Blaine Bartel. A resurrection can't happen until it's too late. Do you ever think about that? Like, it's not even possible to happen until somebody says it's too late. This is what happened with Lazarus. This is one of Jesus' best friends, and I want you to think about this. Jesus has performed miracles and done all of these incredible things, and Lazarus has seen it. And then he starts to become very ill, and his family tells Jesus, sends word, please come back quickly because Lazarus is fading fast. And it took Jesus a really long time to get back to him, and in that time, can you imagine being Lazarus and waiting, just knowing that I know the man that could heal me in a second. He could just say the word and I could be healed. And here I am waiting on a word from God and no one comes. Nothing happens. Some of you might even feel forgotten that way today. But here's the good news. Jesus shows up and they tell him, Jesus, it's too late. And Jesus says, perfect. He's the perfect candidate for a resurrection. And they say, God, he stinketh. King James Version. It's too late. He's been in the ground for four days. He smells, you don't want anything to do with that. And Jesus says, take me to the tomb. I think there are some people in here today that might say, Joe, you have no clue what I've done and you have no clue where I've been. There is no way I could be worthy of a resurrection. Can I just tell you, you are the perfect candidate for a resurrection because a resurrection can't even happen until it's too late. Jesus wants to resurrect you out of the tomb of your anxiety and depression and fear and sickness. It's never too late. Here's number four. It's impossible to see a resurrection and not tell somebody. Think about that. It's impossible to see a resurrection and not tell somebody. I always think about after Lazarus was resurrected. Can you imagine how trippy that would have been for the people that attended Lazarus funeral? I mean, they they had him dead and buried. They had cried tears over him. Even Jesus cried over Lazarus. They said their respects and said their goodbyes, and then he's at the barbecue next Sunday. Like, can you imagine how weird that would have been? Like, for the rest of their life, living with Lazarus had to be so weird. They would sit down at the table, and they would just poke at him just to make sure he was really who he said he was. And they would want to hear stories. What was it like when you first opened your eyes? What was it like when Jesus said, take off your grave clothes? There had to be something amazing about living with Lazarus, but look at the first thing that it says after Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. John eleven forty five. 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him because it's impossible to see a resurrection and not tell somebody about it. Can I tell you this? Your resurrection never just affects you. My dad, who is the lead pastor here and the founding pastor, uh, founded the church 39 years ago. And a few years before that, he was very far from God. Most of you know him today as Pastor Joe and we think he's so holy and he's got his life all together and he's a pretty great guy now. But uh, he was nothing like that before. He was heavily addicted to drugs. He was bitter with God because his brother had died a tragic death early. He wanted nothing to do with God. He was raised in organized religion and it felt very stale and stagnant to him. He did not see Jesus in a real way. He was addicted to drugs, so he owned an illegal firearm and he would go into the seedy parts of Youngstown to get his drugs. He used to go to parties of his friend's house and while everybody was hanging out at the party and getting wasted, he would go sneak around their house and steal stuff and then go turn around and sell it. He was just not a good guy. But you know what's crazy? When he finally met Jesus, when a man named Lou, just two miles down the road, told him about Jesus at the Steel Valley Barbell Club, this gym that he owned, it began to chip away at his hard heart. It began to change him from the inside out. And do you know this? Within a year of my dad meeting Jesus, my entire family, all five of his brothers, my grandma, and on Easter Sunday, the final person, the final holdout was my grandpa, Papa Jim, and he raised his hand at the end of the service on Easter Sunday to give his life to Jesus. How cool is that? I think we ought to give it up for God because when you're resurrected, it never just affects you. It changes everyone and everything around you. This is why Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, verse 18, went to the disciples with the news, and what did she say? I have seen the Lord. And this is my prayer for you this morning. Maybe your vision feels a little blurry, and it's been a while since you've seen him. Maybe you've never seen him. I pray that you would have an eye-opening experience and encounter of who Jesus is and how much he loves you because it's impossible to see a resurrection and not tell somebody. Here's number five, the, the fifth and final one. We're getting ready to close and have a little bit more left in the service, some amazing moments, but listen to this. The resurrection isn't just an event, it's a person. The resurrection isn't just an event, it's a person. This is what John says in his gospel account, chapter 11, verse 25, and he's depicting what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This goes beyond today what we're talking about in reconstructing resurrection It goes beyond intellectually knowing about Jesus, and it moves to spiritually knowing Jesus in a personal way. This is why Jesus came to the earth. And can I tell you this? The greatest evidence of Jesus' existence isn't what I can prove medically or scientifically or historically. The greatest evidence of Jesus' existence is the changed lives of the people that encounter him. And so here's what we want to do. Just for the next couple of minutes, we want to show you a group of people that are all part of our church. Two of them, Patrick and Lauren, are actually a part of BC Boardman. And they're sharing their stories of resurrection and how God has moved in their life. And I want to say this if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, I want to invite you to do that. You can search Believers Church OH today and subscribe right now if you want. And we're going to introduce a long form of this discussion later this week. But let's take a look at their story.
1: Hey, Lauren. Uh- can you tell me what life was like before you met Jesus?
2: Absolutely. So um, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad accepted Jesus um, when I was four. So from that point on, it was very much um, part of the household, kind of you know, going to church and all of that. Um, I went to a Christian high school. So I would say I was very much brought up in the Christian world. Um, but I don't know that I really knew what it felt like to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I think God brings us to places in our lives where He He knows what we need and He knows what our next step needs to be. And I feel that God kind of brought me to a spot where He was like, okay, you're about to be completely helpless, can't do anything for yourself, and I'm about to show you how big and how good I am. And what a relationship with me is going to look like, and it kind of set the foundation for the rest for the rest of you know my life up to this point. Um, so when I was 19, um, I was diagnosed with a panic disorder, and I would have a couple of panic attacks a day. Got to the point where I couldn't leave the house. Um, so for three months, I was in the house. Didn't know, you know, you're 19. It's scary. I was like, okay. What, what is my life gonna look like from here on out because I don't know how to pull myself out of this. And God gave me words to write songs. He gave me words to write poetry. Um, I dug into His Word, um, just really, you know, giving my, my whole heart to Him in a way that I never had before. And He set me free. And looking back now, I realized that if I hadn't gone through that, you know, that dark, dark place, I wouldn't have the relationship with Jesus that I have today. So I'm, I'm grateful for it, grateful for the darkness, because it brought me to the ultimate light, which is Jesus.
1: Thomas, you were talking about a dark place. Are you able to talk about that here today?
3: Oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, when I was in, in grad school, um, when I moved to the United States in, in 2014, um, I went through a period where I, I went through some, some pretty hard times. Um, I, I questioned my faith. I, I questioned what I believed in. Um, life did not make sense to me.
1: Did you get angry a lot?
3: Oh yeah, angry with with God. I, I questioned Him. Um, I went through a phase where I couldn't hear his voice, and I was very used to hearing his voice. Um, after you know, I gave my life to Jesus, and I knew what it meant to, um, to, you know, be in in a true relationship with him. I I was in tune to hearing his voice, but I I just went through that period of of testing and and trials where I just couldn't hear from him, and. Um, and and I, I realized that that was a result of my pride, and that was a result of, of just my unbelief and, and my lack of faith in Him. And I went down um, the the road of, um, of of learning about you know where we come from. Went went down the path of, of exploring science, exploring what's out there but it still didn't satisfy me. I was still very like curious to learn more about where we come from. And um, it, it came to a turning point when, when I came across the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And that's when it, it started to make sense to me some more. It, it started to um, make me realize that life's not about me. If if someone's like going through um, a, a tough time where they they they're trusting, or they're having a difficult time not trusting God, right, and going through a phase where they just can't um, find reason to, to believe, that's okay. God God wants you as you are. Um, he doesn't He doesn't want a facade. You don't need to um, be on nice and tidy before coming to him he he wants you to be real he wants you to be honest
2: the theme that i'm sensing like so far is that you know these dark places is where god shows up for us growing up in a very comfortable christian home environment that's not where i connected with god the most it was in you know the darkest point in my life so just think that's interesting would you relate to that at all patrick absolutely
1: you have to keep in mind that i'm quite a bit older than you guys so And I only became a Christian at the age of 63. So I had a lot of time to pile up a lot of sins and uh, and do a lot of things that I regret. But I I do remember what life was like before I found Jesus, what I thought it was like. I was living in a dream world, really. Uh, My ego was definitely out of control. I didn't think anything at all of spending $5,000 on a suit or $300 on a bottle of wine lavish vacations, expensive toys, expensive cars, and so on. And it wasn't until I actually, just in the last couple of years that I've really been thinking back on it a lot, that I finally was able to pinpoint when I, when I reached my pinnacle of self-indulgence and egotism. It was uh, lying by a swimming pool in Las Vegas at Caesar's Palace with a friend of mine named John. And I still am embarrassed when I think of what I said, but I had the audacity to say, I wonder what poor people are doing right now. And the minute those words came out of my mouth, I knew they were wrong, but then we switched to another conversation. Now that I found Jesus and I think about that, it actually makes me want to cry that it was such a heartless thing to say. And and I just thank God that that's not me anymore. What about you?
4: Just talking about what Lauren was saying that we we meet God in when we are in a mess, you know, so that we can be a message. Um, I think that was true even for me. I was um, complacent. I was like, I was happy where I was. I I did not really felt that I needed God at that point. You know, once you experience the love of God, you just cannot like go back. And once you've seen. Um, you know, miracles and you've seen things in your life. I think um, I think that's how sometimes God gets our attention, is not through in the happy times, but when we are going through these rough times in our life.
1: Well, what led me to accept Jesus uh, was my wife and my daughter. In 2013, my daughter and son-in-law, my only grandchild came to visit from Colorado. And we had a week together, which I thought was a great week. And then I spoke to her a few days later and, uh, She said she cried all the way back to Colorado on the flight. And I said, why? She said, because you were so negative. Never seen you that negative your whole life. And I was like, I wasn't negative. (laughs) So a few days later, a book arrives in the mail, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, that my daughter sent to me. My wife had been uh, a lover of Jesus from the time she was a little girl. And, uh, And she had gotten me watching Pastor Joe on Sundays. So I read this book, Uh, I like like facts, I always have questions, maybe like you Thomas, I want to know, how do you know that? Can you prove that to me? So I read the book because I read the preface and I did a little research on it, and I thought he was going to disprove the Bible in this book, which is what he set out to do. And when he did the exact opposite, I was shocked, I turned back and read the book a second time straight through, and I fell to my knees, I started crying. I accepted Jesus uh, at that moment, and I've never looked back. I was a sinner for so many years, and there are so many things I regret until I've come to realize that I'm exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants to be out there talking to others because we can relate. And uh, so it was difficult at first, but it's just a very gradual process. It's a journey. You mentioned earlier that your, your belief is a journey. And the thing to remember on a journey for Jesus is not the destination, that's not the goal. The journey is who you bring along with you as you're going.
4: I believe, you know, our our relationship with Jesus is not like a one-time thing, right? Like we have to nourish it, we have to work towards it, we have to fight for it, fight for our faith. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've realized through all this is that He is God, He is sovereign, and He, he knows what's best for your life. He knows what's best. Um, so just learning to, Trust God is, is, is a process, like it's it's not just happens overnight, it's a process to trust God even through your hard times and um, your um, happy times and you know, in your hard times to just learn to trust God, so.
1: How do you guys deal with some of the things you see going on in the world that are so terrible?
3: Jesus has said, in this world you are going to have troubles, you are going to have trials, you are going to have temptations but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes. And you overcome by believing with what Jesus did on that cross, with the blood that he shed for us and the word of our testimony. And that's what can help us really become overcomers in Christ.
1: Alicia, what would you say to somebody who senses a need to develop a relationship with Jesus but just doesn't know how to go about doing it.
4: First thing is knowing that that God loves you no matter what you've done in your past and whatever people think about you, God loves you. He sees you, He hears you, He hears your prayers, He hears your cries and he I would encourage someone to just you know go to God, seek Him, Even if it means like starting with like a small prayer, like, God, I need you. Um, I don't understand everything, but I know you do. Um, Just going to Him and with these small steps of faith, uh, that's how I started. Um, It's not, it was like, uh, maybe it took me years, to be honest, uh, it was not like some people have a 180 degree shift in their prayer life yeah. immediately, like after right. having an encounter with Jesus. But it wasn't the same with me. God had to keep knocking and keep trying. <laughs> so I would say start with small steps of faith. You take one step, and God will take a million steps
1: towards you. That's beautiful. That is truly beautiful. Yes. Uh, Hey, guys, I I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. It's been fantastic. Let's do it again sometime. It's been been amazing. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you, guys.
1: Absolutely. Shalom.
3: (laughs) Shalom.
0: Beautiful. I know Lauren was here in the first service. Patrick is up here. Can we just thank them for being open and sharing their story? That's what the church is. It's just real people that have experienced the reality of the resurrection. And I feel like I'd be remiss if we had all of this talk of the resurrection and I didn't help you connect the dots in this final moment. And so I wanna start by just telling you a quick story. There was a mom and she had a toddler that got a a hold of her iPhone I'm sure a few of you can relate to this, and she, it went missing and she didn't know where, what happened to it. When she finally found it, her toddler had tried to enter the passcode, probably accidentally, uh, so many times that she was locked out of her iPhone for 39 years. Yeah, have you ever seen how iPhone does this? And when I heard that, I just got to thinking, man, this is, this is what religion will tell you, that I've done so many things wrong I've missed it so many times. I'm locked out of heaven and out of God's good graces forever. But can I just tell you something that God is so good that he's not counting your bad moments and your good moments and making sure that they outweigh each other. He's not keeping a tally or a score of where you've fallen and where you've messed up. God is greater and his grace is greater than every mistake and every shortcoming and all have fallen and all have come short of God's glorious standard of perfection. There's no one that's righteous, not even one. You know what they needed to do to get back into her phone? They had to wipe it. And this is a beautiful picture of salvation that all of the record that we have, it hasn't been exposed. That's what religion will do. It's been expunged. It's been taken away. He's washed it completely away by his blood on the cross. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I just want to give a very simple invitation. We, we grew up, I'm sure most of us in America, where Christianity is cultural. And so for some of you, your faith was inherited because mom and dad told you, and they dragged you to church every weekend, and you've been to a million Easter services, and it's almost become meaningless to you because you've never personally encountered Jesus For some of you, this is the moment that you've first heard what we would call the message of the gospel, the good news. And so here's the good news, that we were all dead in our trespasses of sin. We were all headed to eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And the Bible said that God was not willing that one would perish, but that all would have everlasting life. So the good news is that he sent his son, his perfect son to live a perfect life in your place because he knew you couldn't. And then he took your place and your punishment for sin on a cross. And in that moment he became sin. There was an exchange that happened as Jesus entered the grave, we were given new life. And so here's what I'm not saying. I'm I'm not Asking you when was the last time that you've been to church? Are you a consistent church attender? Are you a member? Those are all great things, but those things in and of themselves cannot bring you to God. I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? Have you had your first communion? Have your good works outweighed your bad? I'm asking you, what have you done with Jesus? And if you can't remember a moment in your life, not when you intellectually or theologically acknowledge that there is a God, but when you said, god i am making you jesus the lord of my life you're calling the shots now you're sitting in the driver's seat if you can't remember a moment in your life where you prayed that prayer the bible makes it so clear it's as simple as a prayer just call on the name of the lord and you will be saved if we believe in our heart and say with our mouth that jesus is lord we'll inherit an eternity with him in a place called heaven but here's the coolest part jesus doesn't just want to change your eternity He wants to bring heaven into your here and now. He wants this gospel to transform every part of your life. He wants this resurrection to seep into every part of you, into your relationships, into your job, into the purpose that you have for existing on this planet. And So you're surrounded by so many who have prayed this prayer. But in the first service, there were people who had not yet prayed this prayer and needed to return to Jesus. And so I wanna lead you in a prayer and everyone who's prayed it before, can you help us out? And I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that when you pray this prayer, a miracle takes place on the inside of you and you'll be changed from the inside out. Can you pray this with me? Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. That He took my place and hung on a cross that was meant for me. I'll forever be grateful and thankful for all that you did for me. Now I receive this free gift of salvation. I won't be perfect, and I'll make mistakes, but every day I'll take a step to follow you. I am a Christian, in Jesus' name, amen. Now heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment more. The Bible tells us that if one person on all the planet prays this prayer, heaven knows. I don't know exactly how they know, but they know and they throw a party just for one person. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give.